Luke chapter 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes that it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now, let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, it, it is cut off right here in the bulletin. Ah, look, Lord, here are two swords. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, <clears throat> I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Um, welcome those who are visiting today. And um, we are currently in a sermon series um, called A New South Revolution. And it's a sermon series I've said a number of times that I preached about seven or eight years ago to kind of shape and define um, an approach to social justice issues, um, issues of diversity and, um, you know, in, in the South and how we're called to transform um, as a church in what I would describe as the New South um, as Christ Central Church, like our particular role in it. So this is a sermon series focused on those issues and what a fitting time for that to come, right? First Charlotte last year, now Charlottesville yesterday. Unrest in our country over race issues. Not microaggressions, macroaggressions. Supremacist groups. Um, people gathered just upset, hurt, disturbed. And um, this is a fitting message for us as we think about the church's role in this. How are we going to make it work? How are we going to make it happen? What difference are we called to make? Whose side are we on? Um, 
we'll talk about a little bit as we go through this sermon today. I'll bring some application to some of what's going on in our world. Um, so I'm a little um, out of sorts after looking at things on the news and thinking about what I'm going to say to you today about it. And um, the general direction I have in these kind of situations is you can't ignore it. You're going to have to do something about it. And what I mean is I'm not saying get in your car and go out to Charlottesville necessarily. But you need to own the fact that this world is broken in that way. In this way. It's not pretend. It's real. And you also need to own it, especially as a part of this kind of congregation that you're in, um, and even if this was an all-African-American, all-white, all-Korean, or whatever congregation, we need to recognize that we are part of the church universal, which means if these actions don't affect you, if you don't feel offended by some of the things that are said and done, um, that were said and done in Charlottesville yesterday, re recognize that you have brothers and sisters in the Lord who are. Emphasizing from last week's sermon, if one part of the body hurts, the whole body should hurt. And so we should not turn the TV off or just forget it, but we should let it, let it affect us um, and let Christ minister to us and through us. Um, let's continue to pray for that city. But more than that city, let's get into the hard part of the thing. <laughs> Let's pray for the issue at hand. Like, let's get into it. Like, don't just say, oh, they're better now. Oh, Charlotte's better now. Something was there. There was a seed there. There was something in the history that has to be dealt with. And I truly believe, like a crazy man compared to other folk in this discussion, I truly believe that in the gospel, in the ministry and message of Jesus Christ in the church and through the church, people can be healed, right? Sin like this can be confronted and dealt with. Um, so take encouragement in that. As we come to the New South Revolution Sermon Series, the last one that um, I'm going to preach in this series, um, and then I believe you, you on for a little bit, is it you? Yes, yeah, so Mari's going to be preaching for a couple of weeks. I think it's good that you hear from him as our new assistant pastor um, of spiritual formation. And, um, and then I'm going to come back and do a sermon series where we're going to look at the lives that Jesus touched and um, some of the issues he dealt with in the Gospels. We haven't done a Gospel in a while, and I think it's very important that you look at some of that stuff. So we'll come back in September and do that. Um, I'm using this somewhat of an announcement time. So in the first, in, uh, what is it, Labor Day weekend, I'll be uh, one of the plenary speakers at the LDR conference in St. Louis, um, Leadership Development Resource Conference, which is a conference designed to equip and encourage, um, in particular, African-Americans who work in broadly white contexts like, like the PCA. And um, so... Um, but it's not just black folk, it's everybody there, and we're just kind of discussing and dealing with some of the issues. So I'll be there that first weekend, and then so we'll start the sermon series the second weekend in September. So to our passage today, it is Passover week, and since all Passover meals back then had to be done within the city walls to be official, the city at this point is hopping and scrambling with visitors, Whole family groups, like, like family union time, you know, all the same matching off-color T-shirts looking for the nice spot for the cookout. And enter Jesus and his disciples. No matching T-shirts. No one family name, a diverse group of social and religious alternatives and outcasts. And Jesus, the big brother, if you will, and leader of the group, gives them some good news. Guess what, y'all? There is a place. There is a man in Jerusalem who did a nice family room addition add-on on top of his house, and he said, we can use it for our Passover meal. Go get the ice and paper plates and all of that, and let's get ready to celebrate. Now, back then, they would have the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread together. 
for convenience sake, like when we do family reunions for 4th of July or Labor Day weekend. And so they would have gotten a lamb properly butchered at the temple and then brought to eat together for dinner. So here we have the dinner scene, the Last Supper scene. I want you to forget the Last Supper picture that grandmom and then had up, right? They were reclining at the table on the left elbow, laying a little lower than the people, person to their right. You kind of lay down with your feet sort of behind you. They had this sort of a la Japanese table thing going on with mats and pillows. And then you'd have to use one hand to eat. And Jesus gets up as was customary for the host, which was usually the role of the father. And after the Passover feast meal, he breaks the bread and says something uncustomary. Breaking traditional culture, religious ranks, Jesus says, this is my body given and broken. In some accounts, it says, for you. And then takes a cup of wine and, and does a religious toast and says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And it is beautiful in a bloody sort of vampire cannibalistic way. But at the climatic moment, things begin to fall apart. As you heard in your reading, it turns into the table scene from New Jack City, for those of you old enough. Or, okay, a banquet on Game of Thrones, right? Because things get nervy when Jesus follows this awesome toasting scene with the words, the hand of the one who is on the table with me will betray me, right? You don't say stuff like that. And since everybody had their hand on the table with his, it starts a questioning of, it ain't me. Who could it be, right, Jesus? And, and then it turned south when they began to confirm their loyalty, talk about who was the greatest among them. Isn't it weird how it goes from being a good family time to being accusatory, and then a fight breaks out about who is the greatest and who did or said what and who will actually betray Jesus. And Jesus lets them know that the one who is the greatest is the one who serves. And so as you serve in my grassroots Lord of the Universe election campaign, guys, you will get a post in my cabinet one day, he is promising. And you can see them feeling better. We're going to all work with Jesus one day. Some laughing comes back. they like, yeah, man, I'm going to get a nice corner office in the kingdom. Jesus says, we're going to sit on 12 thrones. What? Things seem cool. So Jesus looks over at Peter. I mean, Jesus just wants to start something, doesn't he? He wants to mess with folk. We're just trying to have a good time. We almost get into a fight. Some of y'all, family reunions, y'all get into a fight. Some of y'all, you know, you're talking about what really happened and who said what and who lived what, and then it turns into a fight, right? And then you're so glad when it calms down. And then Jesus looks over at Peter and calls the brother out, Peter, Peter. Saying it twice was like saying, my dog, my ace, my boon coon, right? Everyone is probably thinking Jesus is about to make him the greatest, and he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. But when you come back to your senses, help others. I mean, this is tough. Can you see Jesus' eyes? Man, he, when he says it, guess what? It's probably going to happen. Creator of the universe in the flesh, Peter, Peter, Satan trying to get you. You're going to mess up. Great. And Peter's like, why me? No, wait, not me. I will die for you, Jesus. You my man. Maybe Bartholomew. I mean, listen to his name, Lord. I am Peter, the rock, Lord. I got your back, JC. And Jesus says, Peter, for sun up, you will act like you've never seen me before. And I've been in, in that position, right? I have. I mean, I talk a lot. So it happens to me a lot. When I was growing up, it happened all the time. Will you say something, get called out, set straight, everybody looking at you, right? But everybody afraid too, because they could be next. Everybody gets quiet. And you know you got the one person trying not to laugh about it. I'm thinking, you know, I don't know which disciple. Maybe it's John trying not to laugh. I don't know. 
And just when you think you can go ahead and move on and have a good time, Jesus reminds them of what he said when he first sent them out with the go easy on them approach in Matthew 10 with take no money, sandals or stuff. When you went on your missionary journey, you had everything you needed, right? Well, Jesus flips the script at this dinner and is like, if you got some money, you better take some. And if you have a bag or money clip or Swiss gear backpack to hold and save what you have and to get more, you better get that too. And if you have a coat, best to Sell, sell that for a sword or switchblade or some nunchucks or taser or something because you're going to need it. Of course, he was trying to make a point that when he does what he does, what he came to do, die like a fool and a criminal on a cross, it ain't going to be easy for them anymore. And then the disciples jump up. Well, Lord, based on what you say, we have two swords right here. Let's go light them up, Lord. And Jesus shakes his head because he's a poet and they act like they don't know it, right? That was pretty good. <laughs> and they take literally what is deep, a deeper metaphor and once again don't get it. So Jesus is like, conversation's over. <laughs> it's too much for y'all. Well, y'all ain't ready to handle all that I must do or what will happen to you. Help them, Holy Spirit. The end of the Last Supper. Isn't that awesome? That's just great, right? You don't get all that in that picture, right? On the grandmama's, you know, table, whatever, right? Everybody looks happy in that picture. Over the last couple of sermons of this New South Revolution series, I've thrown some hard and offensive and challenging and perplexing and confusing and challenging and, and liberating, exciting stuff at you in this call to a New South Revolution of social justice here in Charlotte. And it has left many of us, me included, much like Jesus' disciples here at the Last Supper, wanting, confused, needing more information, and like them, even failing to act like they actually live with Jesus for the last three years. And like them, it is easy for us to forget or miss what Jesus is teaching us here at the Last Supper. For God's revolution, y'all, to bring change in this world, he is not asking you and me to bring the revolution, but come and be invited to it. Number one, right? Come. He's not asking us to carry the revolution and be burdened by it, but be carried and kept by it. Kept. He's not asking us to even fuel it, but be fed by it. Soul fed by Jesus' soul food. Understand that this is no ordinary message. I mean, meal, sorry. This was a celebration of their soul food. It was a meal and an occasion that was more than a snack and more than, a, just, than just a meal. It, it told a story. And around this meal, stories were told. It sent a message, and around it, like no other meal, messages were given. And Jesus uses this Passover meal to do just that. It was a soul food event. I don't know whether this is your cultural expression, but like Passover here, for us, there is a different story and message when you're at home and soul food is served, right? Comfort food for a lot of us Southerners. I'm not just talking about chicken and biscuit, the snack. No, like this Passover, I'm talking about the full spread, y'all, where you have more than one meat choice. It ain't soul food if you just got one meat choice. This is Big Mama's house, right? This is fried chicken and fish. This is baked ham and beef roasts, right? The macaroni and cheese, the green beans, the black-eyed peas, the, the okra soup, the rice, the collard and turnip greens, the candy, yams, the biscuits, the cornbread. And for you, might be a different sort of full-spread soul food, but complete with the desserts, right? The pound cake and the sweet potato pie, pecan pie, apple pie, chocolate cake, socket to your cake. And to wash it all down, maybe some sweet tea. Just enough sugar and salt to put you down for a few months. But it's special. You can only do it one time a year. If you do it every week, you won't live long, okay? It's 
especially, come on, black people, black men, you're going to have high blood pressure, diabetes. Trust me, I know. But nevertheless, it tells a story. It sends a message. And like Jesus with his disciples that Passover, as with our own soul food meals, his message was clear. I am calling you to a revolutionary relationship through the message of this meal. Because the revolution of breaking down walls and being a diverse community and making radical changes in cities and communities and cultures will offer a spread that Jesus is laying out in the gospel. And that spread will call all kinds of people to a place where they will be in life-changing relationships. Now, understand, like our soul food times, a Passover meal was a family meal, right? You did it as a household. And for Jesus to have this meal with them, he was declaring and establishing a people to be in a place of relationship. It's funny how this happens. But if you come to one of our events over the years, especially when my, when my mom was still living, often centers around food. You just don't have an event. Come on over, everybody. First thing people want to know is, where's the food, right? Why am I here? Where's the food? Like, we can't talk unless there's food, right? In our culture, the meal automatically makes us intimate in ways we weren't before it, right? We have a term in Charleston, when you eat, it's called grease your mouth, right? It kind of greases the mouth. People start talking, right? That's not how you use it. I just came up with that one. Usually, it's my dad that says at the family meal, like the leader, like Jesus did, right? Well, you who are sitting here who are not, don't have our last name, you family now. What? Just after eating some greens with hot sauce, is that all it takes? You didn't get any whippings? That ain't fair. He goes on, you're always welcome. And you know what's funny about it? As I look back at Christmas meals and Thanksgiving meals or Fourth of July celebrations of Sunday di- or Sunday dinner, there is always, in my mind, if I remember, somebody who wasn't family who became family. And oftentimes, they are eating with us because they are too far from home. Maybe a college friend or someone whose family no longer has the matriarch or patriarch to hold it together. Or sometimes it is more deliberate than that. It is a new girlfriend, a newborn baby, or someone that we invited over on purpose, right? The message of this Passover meal is saying Jesus is calling for a place and a people to come together with him. Like people call to a place with each other and, and him because of the revolution, right? Because Jesus called on their lives to be changed and restored because of the way the gospel message calls for eclectic community and, and because of the way this gospel message can make us and call us aliens and, and enemies and weirdos and misfits and mishaps in our own community. Some of us have been thrown out. Some of us don't see the world in the same way for the way Jesus made us kind of crazy because listening and following Jesus has left many of us like the disciples homeless and feeling alone and sort of needing some place to go we need a table I was talking to Amari last night about the Charlottesville thing and we were talking about the, the protest and, and all this stuff and how strange the gospel makes you you start hooking up with Jesus and getting into his Jesus stuff and the gospel stuff, and then you find yourself maybe on the same, like, like, like sharing the same sentiments about white supremacy and what needs to happen with somebody who thinks Christianity is the problem. I feel like an alien sometimes. And the person on the other side goes to church every Sunday. I don't know about you, but sometimes in this world, the gospel makes you like misfit toys. So Jesus is saying, I've made a place. I have a table for you. Diverse people, misfit, the, the island of misfit toys, the table misfit toys. He is making and creating, calling people like you and me to a new place as a new people. It makes sense to what Jesus says here in verse 36 and 37. Look at what it says. I can find it. 
He says, he said to him, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors, sorry, for what is, is written about me has its fulfillment. Did I read all that right? For what is written about me has its fulfillment. So this scripture about the need for cloaks and swords, remember it's a reversal what Jesus said earlier about you don't need all that stuff. Just, just go do the gospel, right? Just go tell the truth. What he is saying is that when he dies and Christianity becomes its own faith distinguished from Judaism, the families and the heritage that helped support you when you went around declaring the good news will be gone. You will need your own fellowship now, your own family. The neighbors you're around, the community you used to be in before God began to change your heart and do some things and teach you about community, and even diverse community, and, and, and embracing relationships, multi-generational relationships, all those groups of people you used to sit around with and talk to and say all kind of things, they'll be gone. Your own family, some of you. I know some of your stories. Your own family think you're crazy. And Jesus is saying, you need a new family. You need a new place like you see happening around this table. Jesus is saying, for your survival, you need some help. You need somebody or bodies to talk to, to share your stories and share the story of, of his redemption. Or else, like we see the disciples doing and pulling out the swords, you will, hear me carefully now, you will on your own with the message of the gospel, when you do this kind of social justice sort of thing, figuring out things in a gospel way, dealing with politics, dealing with discussions of race and gender and sexuality and, and ethnicity and all these kind of things, here is what's going to happen. On your own, you will get defensive and fearful and become self-righteous or so discouraged or so lonely that you get the whole Christianity thing wrong, and Jesus is saying, I will do what I have to do to not let that happen to you. You see, through this meal, Jesus is sending a message and a beacon call to all those whose lives have been misplaced and recalled by the gospel in a sinful and broken world to come into community, to come to the table, because he has secured and created and made a place for you to be known and loved and grow. A place to be served and sharing and seen and fellowship with and cared for in a confusing and alienating world. Look at verses 24 with me. It says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and a leader as one who serves. For who is the greatest? Greater, one who reclines at, ta at table or one who serves? It is not the one, is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they're arguing about who's the greatest. He said, okay, y'all don't have no place to go. Be at my table. And they start arguing. They're reclining at this table. Again, remember the, the imagery here. They only have their right hands to dip and eat. In order for this to work, they had to use the hand of the person to their left and right to get what they needed. So Jesus says, who is the greatest servant? The one who is at the table, the one who is not at the table. Of course, Jesus is pointing to himself as the greatest servant. He will, we'll get back to that in a moment. But he is also saying that we are called to serve each other as we sit around the table. Otherwise, we can't eat what's on the table. And Jesus is offering if we're not there to serve one another as we pass it around, that we must rely on our sense of togetherness and familyness and companionship to serve each other at the table, around the table. 
And it makes complete sense when Jesus talks about the greatest being the servant. Because think about it. When what you want as you're sitting at the table is a couple of seats or platters away and you can't reach it, who's the greatest? The one who can pass it to you, right? Oh, please, you who are near to mashed potatoes, who have access to that, right? To that grace, to that something. Please, I need you. Serve me. You're the greatest. Sometimes we even say it. Here's this. Thank you. You're the greatest, right? Jesus calling us to a, 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 to a people in a place where only we only make it. Now, hear me. We only make it as we serve each other. But get this, where you can only get what you need if you get served it in the body of Christ by somebody else. They only had their right hands to serve them, y'all. This is how Christianity works. We are not allowed. This is a new message for some of us who like the, the spiritual smorgasbord, who, who treat Christianity like Target. We, we can go in and get what we want how, whenever we want it. It's 24 hours, right? This is how Christianity works. We are not allowed or called to authentic Christianity to, by meeting our own needs and only take what we want to care for ourselves. This is about being well-fed and growing spiritually only as well and good as the relationships you have. See, this is new, right? We all thought, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and somehow I can get the grace of God necessary to survive in this world and do the good things God's called me to do and be a strong Christian on my own. Well, everything in Christianity, right? Everything in the Bible from beginning to end says this is a body activity. This is a family thing. Your Christian faith is not a solitary, you know, individualistic activity. You don't get the grace of God alone. It's passed to you and it's served to you through each other. There is no self pick and choose on your own by your own self-spirituality. You will do bad all by yourself, right? And Jesus is saying, come to a place where you can only get served as you serve each other. In this new place, in the new South Revolution, right here in Charlotte, Jesus is calling us to and beginning to build in them back then, excuse me, <laughs> Jesus is beginning to bring them to a new place. And surprise, it's going to be the church. Oh, no. It can't really be an institution with, like, stuff like community groups and Bible studies. Oh, man, please don't start that again, Pastor Brown. I have my quiet time, right? I'm spiritual, right? You're not in charge of your own spirituality. You're not spiritual, authentically spiritual, like, let, let, let me make it harder. You're not spiritual in a Christian way if you're out there doing it on your own. You have to ask yourself this question. Who's at the table with you? Who can you say, not who you're serving only, who's serving you God's grace among you? If you're not there, you're not spiritual in the way Christ calls you to be. The spiritual reality of Christ is just like the bread and wine we're about to take. It's real. I mean, it's real relationships. It's real words. It's really showing up and acting like a fool at the table and someone having to say, no, it ain't about being the greatest, right? It's being called out. It's being in a place and among people who will say, that ain't right. And we want to avoid that. We live in a virtual world, right? Everything's online. You can become ordained online, right? Need somebody to do your wedding? Hey, $50, you can marry me, right? You want to be a counselor? $50, go online, take the course, be a counselor. You want to be spiritually strong? Just watch this, listen to this podcast, right? 
that's great. I'm glad you guys can hear things and see things and listen to stuff and, and be on chat pages and what? Chat, I'm so old. And be on message boards. That's old too. The Insta post, whatever it is. It goes back to the old-fashioned community groups. You ain't in a community group? Why? You think you're spiritual? You think you're making it? You think you're strong without that? God said, you're not going to make it. Hard days are coming ahead, right? You're going to begin to think you're the greatest. You're going to begin to wonder about your faith. Jesus wants you to know, extrovert, introvert, that there is room at the table for you through Jesus. So by all means, find the table in a place somewhere. It doesn't have to be Christ central. Because on your own, the Christianity and this world will overwhelm, discourage, and confuse you. Man, let me tell you, as a pastor of a church and been in ministry for a while now, the worst situations are, guess what? Me and Jesus had a prayer time, and this is what I think, Pastor Brown. Oh, no! I had this problem, and so me and Jesus, I just went up to the mountains or in the woods, and I prayed, and this is what I came back with. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Disaster, right? And I decided, right? What? Good news. You have a home. You have a table. You have a place. And this is where Jesus authenticates us. See, we see Jesus call out the betrayer through this meal, Judas, who is not his, who turns out to not believe in Jesus. But right after that, he calls Peter out as being one who deny him, who will fall under the pressure of Satan. And then the sword thing, completely misunderstood what Jesus says to them. Get this, they take Jesus' conversation about how his body will be broken for them and bloodshed, and that one of them will betray him and turn it into a conversation about who was the most righteous. Know this from the passage. Like them, y'all. Guess what? And this is for people who are here and you're not a Christian, you're just visiting. For you too. Christians will make mistakes and sin. Oh, really? You will fail and fall and let Jesus down and other folk in this world down big time. We will even become guilty and condemned by our own ideas of what is good or Christianity is. You know, we, we usually think, man, the, the big failure that Christians are up against or anybody who would come to Christ, the big concern I really have, Jesus, is whether I'm going to do something wrong. No, sometimes the biggest issue is you think you're right. Or you begin to set up these moral uh, laws and fences and rules for yourself that Jesus didn't even call you to. Right? But when you're alone and not at the table, you are free to do that. We will fail to be as good as we thought we were or want to be. We, we will all feel like hypocrites. And how I felt the other day, I read this article about how Christians shouldn't watch certain things, and I was watching the certain thing. And I really began to think, I'm not saved. It's easy to get in that spiral. I know y'all laughing at me. Come on. It's easy to be like, well, maybe I'm not a Christian because this or that or whatever. And I was all alone in my mind, right? Wrong place to be all along in my mind, right? <laughs> in this world, I mean, you and I will ignore the poor when we shouldn't. You will laugh at or, or let racist and sexist jokes fly by. You will be too afraid to speak up in an arrogant speak too much. You will get much of what this Bible is saying wrong lots of time. We will. And thus goes the testimony of your own pastor and pastor's life. I don't, along with some of you, always believe Jesus like I should. I don't always trust to believe this stuff, he says. Especially when it comes to Christ. Come on, y'all. Sometimes I'm like, Jesus, man, this thing, this ain't it. Forget church and being a believer, right? But while you are saying forget this, selling it out, misunderstanding and twisting it, people, be assured of what Jesus assured Peter. Look with me at verse 31. Simon, Simon, 
Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, uh, turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Okay, let's, let's get this straight because this is another one of these scriptures where you can get real condemned. I've called you to missional stuff in this sermon series. It's going to be easy to get condemned. When he calls Peter's name twice, don't get it confused. This is not mama having to call you twice and so the beating's going to be worse. No. Howard, Howard, Howard. Sometimes she called me by my brother's name, Terrence, Joel, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you weren't calling me, beaten. <laughs> you know who I'm talking to. Did you do the wrong thing? Yes. Do you? Mm. But you weren't, you didn't call the right name. No. No, this isn't mama having to call you twice. It's going to be worse. This is not a double call of frustration by Jesus. Simon, Simon, doggone, right? This is how we see it sometimes because we live in constant condemnation in this world and Satan wants to trick us. This is affection. This is love for a child or younger brother that will go through some condemning situations that will try his faith. Jesus is in love with Peter in these words, and it tells us how he sees and addresses us in our failures and misconceptions and fears. Jesus is declaring he will not abandon the revolution and redemption that will be and is happening in you. Therefore, he will not leave or forsake those who are always leaving and forsaking that he will pray for the prayerless, that he will be the truth for those that misunderstood, like the disciples, that he will speak for the choked up, that he will become the servant of those who want to be haughty, that he will fix all that we have broken in our arrogance and ignorance, that he will keep up with the runner and go down with the sinner, that this is what is revolutionary, that Jesus loves and never will stop loving we who struggle with sin and our identity that are his people, that he is eternally committed to us in ways that we cannot and will never be to him. That he will cover and deal with and take on our mistakes and like Peter, forgive them and return them back to him. That he is forever forgiving. So get this. You can't ruin the faith in this world. Jesus will not let you or yet allow you who are his to fall away from him, though you may deny him sometimes. You can't mess up what Jesus has already promised to do in you and through you, that yes, he will call us out, but then love and stay with and help and heal it out of us. The revolution is coming, change is coming, and if you are his, it is coming through an unbreakable, unstoppable love of God for those in the crosshairs and, and crossroads and, and backroads of the gospel revolution in the New South who are broken and not always trusting and confused and watching stuff on TV and getting angry and wondering whether Jesus is ever going to get things straight, right? So-called soldiers, right, of the New South Revolution, welcome for some and for others. Welcome back to the assurance of the Jesus revolution of his love for us. And it tells us then that we're not called to be the fuel, but to turn to him as our food. Again, like any gathering of this sort, Around soul food, there is a message and a story communicated by it. At Passover, back in, the Jews used to say the following line when they would break the bread at Passover. This is the bread of affliction. Our ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. And it was done to the point to the middle passage. It was done to point to the middle passage between uh, free to slaves to entering the promised land when they wandered in the desert, sometimes unsure of whatever it would ever, whatever, whether it ever happened for them. And at that time, many died, many suffered, but God fed them bread from heaven and kept them, and they did enter the promised land. So when Jesus gets up and breaks the bread, and he says this in verse 19, this is my body broken for you. 
And then in verse 20, with the wine, this is my blood shed for you. In doing so, in substituting in the way that he did, he is saying the things that separate you from God, that keep you in the wilderness from having right relationship with God and yourself and with each other, the way the world is not right will happen to me when I die on the cross, that your sense of freedom and peace relies on me, that I am the bread of your affliction. I will take on the penalty of the world's sin and share in your sufferings, suffering and in my act of dying. I will bear the burden of whatever needs to happen, but I am also the fuel and power and drive and God behind redemption. I am the soul food because I am food for your soul so that you can enter a rest and believe and be restored and unburdened and reconciled and motivated. Eat of me. Eat my words. Take my worship. Take my people, my ministry, my sacraments, my Lord's Supper. Take in my grace and my gospel for your soul and all the ways I have given. Jesus is saying, like the lamb we ate, like this broken bread and wine I serve, as I serve it. I died to be your food, and I live to feed you. The main cook in my family growing up was my aunt. We called her Annie. Annie could make it, y'all. Let me, just give me a minute. Lord, she's still living. She's a little older now. But Annie would shop all day, go to the fish market. We have a fish in Charleston, like some of you who lived on coastal cities, Moorhead City in the house, right? Yeah, coastal city. You go there and they're like, oh, the fish just came in an hour ago or 30 minutes ago. If you wait, we'll bring it in. Stuff still, I still like, you know, Right? <laughs> It don't smell stink. It just smells like fresh fish. You know, that difference? Charlotteans, y'all don't know. So anyway, um, but she would shop all day. Food costs a lot, y'all. When we when I watch, which show was that where they would have Big Mama and she would do the meal every day? Soul Food, the movie. Okay. Um, but in, well, I remember somebody saying as we're watching that movie, Big Mama must be rich, right? Because she got four different meats right? Food costs a lot, and she paid for it. Then she would actually take the food she paid for and cook all day. And when people would just be there eating, folk would show up, hey, what's going on with their plate? Like, like it's almost like they brought their, their plate out their car. They just <laughs> got my own plate. What's up? People bringing foil. You know what foil's for? I'm going to take some home, right? People coming in, And I would look up, and the only one without a plate would be Annie. And I watched her one day, and she was kind of standing in between the kitchen and the dining room. And I mean, it's the only time the Brown family's quiet. <laughs> and she's just looking. And I looked at her, and I'm like, she is eating. I'm like, Annie, why don't you eat? She says, I, I, I just enjoy watching y'all eat what I've made. Her food was watching us eat. Like she lived to feed us. Like she lived on feeding us. And when it would get quiet, she would just stand there and watch. Like she was eating and get satisfied and filled just by watching us get fed and fulfilled, seeing even if someone needed anything else. That's what she did. Jesus says here, I will not drink until the kingdom comes. Jesus was declaring, as the greatest servant among you, your food is me, my food and my joy. Hear what God is saying. My honor is serving and suffering and holding and keeping and loving and providing all of what you and the world need in order to experience all the grace God has to give you. Jesus is saying, I will not rest until you can. What? 
I will not sit in the final place of honor so one day you can. I will not eat but die so that you can eat and live eternally. I will not stop being the savior of sinners until you and all my people are redeemed and come home and sit around that table and know and experience my love eternally. See, the key, I hope you saw it throughout the other sermons, the key to all this social justice stuff, to dealing with the hardships inside of us and outside in this world, is letting Jesus feed you and letting your soul be fed at his table through the relationships in this place with God's people. His soul food. We have every reason not to do it, y'all. Y'all, if you're like me, okay, you're full of pride and arrogance. You're afraid to admit you don't have it together. Some of you are afraid what Jesus is going to do. Yes, you may have some Peter moments with Jesus. But those moments are affection to love you well. Quit living alone and quit living on your own food. Come to Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the real table of Christ. Help us to serve one another with what you have broken and given. Your grace. Help us to be fueled, not by rage, not by anger, not by disappointment, not by some righteous law we've made to, to change and, and feed all the hungry people and, and be wherever there's protests, not that stuff. But let us be fed by the love you've shown us. Let us be fed by the gospel. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.